As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. My name is Ariel. I moved to the U.S. at 19. I spoke no English, and I struggled finding job opportunities. Everything I have, I owe to the Adult Literacy Center and getting my high school diploma at age 22. It was an honor helping you achieve your greatness. Now you're helping others achieve theirs. It inspires me. When you graduate, they graduate. Find free and supportive adult education centers near you at finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. Hey everyone, this is Molly and Matt, and we're the hosts of Grown Up Stuff How to Adult, a podcast from Ruby Studio and iHeart Podcasts. It's a show dedicated to helping you figure out the trickiest parts of adulting. Like how to start planning for retirement, creating a healthy skincare routine, understanding when and how much to tip someone, and so much more. Let's learn about all of it and then some. Listen to Grown Up Stuff How to Adult on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Grown Up Stuff. Grown Up Stuff. It's the Breakfast Club, the world's most dangerous morning show. Hey! Angela Yee is kind of like the big sister that always pokes you in the forehead. <laughs> That's not how it goes? That's not how anything goes. Yimby's really like a robot. One of the best DJs ever. Believe that. Charlamagne is the wild card. And I'm about to give somebody the credit they deserve for being stupid. I know, that's right. <laughs> what is wrong with you? Oh. Listen to The Breakfast Club weekday mornings from 6 to 10 on 106.7 The Beat. Columbus is real hip-hop and R&B. They welcomed Dylan, they accepted him, and I think they treated him better than when he was a girl. So welcome back. All right, here we are, Ozzy, confidential, and uh, we got something special happening right now. Uh, Not too long ago, several months or years, doesn't make a difference, it doesn't. For you OCs out there, it can't, it can't possibly, but I got a letter. The letter was from a woman who also happened to be a mother. And it was an impassioned letter about her life and her relationship with her son. So in a first for Ozzy Confidential, we're going to have the mother and the son in the studio, duo, duo at the same time, uh, and talking about a special kind of relationship. Forthwith, ladies and gentlemen, Karen and Dylan Barnes. Now, uh, Karen came to me, an editor, you know, the, this, the, the angry, disheveled, the, all the all the common things you hear about editors are true. She came up, I want to talk about my relationship with my son. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, I don't really. What? What was special about it? If they're going to make a movie about it, what's what's the special? What's the what's the what's the artful device that makes your story worth telling? She goes, well, my son, Dylan, used to be my daughter, Erica. Sold. Thank you for taking the time to show up. This is very cool. Uh, I know you guys are jet setters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> At fly- least I am. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> flying around. But uh, we covered it a little bit before we started talking. Uh, um, you talked about how you got the piece to us, but what was the was there an origin story connected to creating the piece? Yes, after Dylan started going through transition. 
I didn't get a chance to talk to some of our family members, and I felt like they might not treat Dylan the way that I wanted him treated to be loved and accepted. Where Where is his family now? Are they here? Or are they yeah, in California. California. Okay. And uh, so I wrote them a letter and just said, mm-hmm. you know, here here's from my heart mm-hmm. where I'm coming from. Mm-hmm. Um, and the response I got from them mm-hmm. was amazing. They welcomed Dylan. They accepted him. And I think they treated him better than ever before <laughs> in my mind. They were more accepting than ever yeah. before when he, when he was a girl. Right. So um, – I thought I've got something here. I want to make a difference for other people. Mm-hmm. Yes. So you you had actually written a letter to them and sent it before it, it had gotten to me. Oh, a year before, or maybe nine months before. So their yeah. reaction is actually what emboldened you to absolutely to, to, to send yeah. it through. Now, and one and one other thing, um, I had the opportunity to meet one of Dylan's friends, who's a trans woman. Uh-huh. And she was telling her story mm. to me about how she didn't have family acceptance and that her mother didn't accept her as a woman. And it was very, very, it made a very, very big impact on me. And I felt very sad. And I wanted to make a difference with other parents and families. Right. So did you, did you tell Dylan that you were going to write the piece before you started working on the piece? No. In fact, I kept it a secret from him. Uh-huh. But then after I saw the reason, because I wasn't planning on doing anything with it after that one effort that after I made. After sending it to the family. After send it, sending it to my nephews. Mm-hmm. So I, um, so then I. So hold it now. Are your I mean, nephews, are they the same age as yes, you are? Yes. Okay. Almost exact. Pretty much. Okay. So these are people you grew up with. Yeah. Okay. All right. So I, um. So I thought, you know, like I told you, I think I have something here. So Dylan was visiting with me and I said, Dylan, I have this thing I've written and I want you to look at it because um, I want to distribute it and I want your permission to distribute it. And so he looked at it and he asked me for a red pen (laughs) and he took my red pen and he started marking it and I didn't know what he was doing and I said, What's wrong? He said, your grammar is terrible. You need to get an editor. <laughs> I was, okay, that's all you have to say. <laughs> so did you did you have any feelings of trepidation at all when she said, I'm going to tell our story uh, as it's connected to you, to the world? Or was it just like, cool? I think I had some feeling of trepidation mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. because it revealed a lot mm-hmm. of personal things. Yeah. But then I realized that I'm not embarrassed about them yeah. and that I could help other people. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And the trepidation went away. I, I have uh, trans friends and it seems to me that common to their experience is them knowing way before everybody else knew. Was oh it, gosh, yeah. Okay. I mean, I, so I knew when I was like five. Right. But I didn't know what it was. Like I knew that I was a boy. I knew that I was a man, but... Well, I was a boy at the time, but I didn't know that that was called transgender or anything like that. And then, you know, after time of kind of society denying that in me, mm-hmm. I learned to deny it in myself. Right. It, it was and like when you say coping. society, you mean the people around you as a five-year-old. Yeah. Know, so family, right? Um, exactly. Friends. Yeah. School. Yeah. 
when I was in kindergarten, probably. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I would go to the hair salon and mm-hmm. be like, I want this boy's haircut. Mm-hmm. And I would wear boxers underneath mm-hmm. my pants. And, you know, family members would say, like, what are you wearing? Or why are you wearing that? And it would be funny. Like, people mm-hmm. would make fun of me for mm-hmm. doing what I felt was naturally me. And so... For me, that's where the denial came in because it was like, oh, this is funny. This isn't serious. Mm. What I'm doing is a joke. And yeah, and I remember asking my dad at a young age, like, how do people get sex changes? I don't even know how I knew what that was. And I remember him explaining it to me and and that's it. I I don't remember being like, that's a possibility for me. I just remember him telling me kind of what it was and Mm, that's mm, it. mm. So how did you how did you process? I guess maybe I, I should go take a step back and ask: Was the making fun of? In, it, did you perceive it to be mean spirited, or was it casual? Like, ah, oh, that's a funny outfit, or was it mean spirited? I perceived it as being mean spirited right. most of the time. Um, like when I was in kindergarten to second grade, I was mm-hmm. bullied, mm-hmm. and I think it had to do with me looking different. Um, but you know, lots of people are bullied for different reasons. Um, but I was really bullied and in second grade, they made a joke about putting a bomb in my house and then things got really serious. Yeah. And things got really serious. And I remember going to the principal's office and having like a lot of anxiety as a kid at that time. And then I remember, you know, I switched schools because my sister was going to a like a cooler school and I wanted to be there. It was like a hippie school. And I remember going there and still being kind of boyish. And then, you know, fourth grade came along and I was like, got to conform now or something. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I started dressing about nine and fourth grade. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And and then I started dressing more like a girl. I don't know. I think it was like puberty was approaching and I felt like, you know, I didn't want to, I didn't want to miss out, you know, like I, I felt so other for so long that I was like, okay, I'll conform now so that I can like fit in. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Cause I, I went through a period when I was growing up of, I'd see a movie and I would have to dress like the character from the movie. Right. <laughs> Which is okay. If you're seeing like sound of music, but the guy yeah. when I was like 10 or 11. So I'd come into very expensive private school dressed like Superfly, which at the time meant a maxi coat, platform shoes, a cane, a hat with a feather. My <laughs> very middle class mother says, you're not leaving the house like that. You know, I go, well, my mom, I don't okay. <laughs> so I show up in school and I, I was vaguely aware of people making fun of me or being amused, but I just didn't care because I knew I looked just like the guy from the movie. And in yeah. my mind, that was it. So outside of an identification, an external external identification through clothes what was happening in inside your head like you're like okay I'm getting a lot of grief for just wanting to wear what I wear but was there other stuff happening in your head that was like kind of that felt to you like I know something they don't know it's not just that I'm wearing shorts and sneakers and I'm a tomboy and that kind of stuff hey anybody can see that but is was there stuff happening in inside your head that other people didn't know I mean thoughts feelings ideas Definitely. I think I, I think after that whole bullying thing and the bomb thing, it really got to my head and it made me go into a denial of just like, I can't be this way because it's dangerous. Like it's, and, and the kids were joking and they were young and like the, you know, they weren't going to bomb my house, but I think I took it like 
really seriously at that age mm-hmm. and just kind of internalize that as like, this is not okay. And like, in order to keep myself and my family safe, I need to be a certain way. And so I mean, they say, we're going to bomb your house because you, you look like a boy. I don't know if they said because you look like a boy, but, but for two clear. years they right. bullied me and right. they, you know, I had this best friend who was a girl and they, they would just make up things about me. Like right. he's picking his nose now or like, you know, just, and like laugh. And I just always had this audience of people who were laughing at me. That's right. how I felt. So I felt like paranoid. Laughing at and not with. Yeah. yeah. Right. And so I felt like paranoid right. that if I was who I really was, right. that there would be like a group of people laughing at me. Right, right. Snakes, zombies, sharks, heights, speaking in public. The list of fears is endless. But while you're clutching your blanket in the dark, wondering if that sound in the hall was actually a footstep, the real danger is in your hand when you're behind the wheel. And while you might think a great white shark is scary, what's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward. Don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Hey, everyone. This is Molly and Matt, and we're the hosts of Grown Up Stuff How to Adult, a podcast from Ruby Studio and iHeart Podcasts. It's a show dedicated to helping you figure out the trickiest parts of adulting. Like how to start planning for retirement, creating a healthy skincare routine, understanding when and how much to tip someone, and so much more. Here's a clip from an upcoming episode featuring the weekly home checks, Keyshawn Lane, that you won't want to miss. A common mistake that a lot of people do, they use fabric softener when it's not so great for your clothes. Should we never be using fabric softener? No, you should not ever be using fabric softener. It leaves a deposit on our clothes, which is also left in the machine. And it also makes the clothes highly flammable. Wait, what? (laughs) Yes. What you want to do instead is just use a quarter cup of vinegar. And that'll make them softer? That'll make them softer. And if you wanted some kind of scent, you can use essential oils. Wow, wow, wow. Catch new episodes of Grown Up Stuff How to Adult every other Tuesday on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Grown Up Stuff. Hey, it's Zuko and Kayla from The Wake Up Call. Enjoy your podcast, but when you're done, don't forget about us. We have a radio show. We try to bring a smile to your face every morning. We also talk to some of the hottest country stars of today, and we like to share some good news with That's What I Like. Because Lord knows that's hard to find. When you're done podcasting your podcast, listen to us at 92.3 WCOL. Set your preset on your radio right now, and don't forget you can listen to us online on the iHeartRadio app. Now, were you, I mean, were you aware of this? I mean, I'm a parent as well, so I know what happens with my kids' school. I'm very frequently the last to know, but you're, you're there at holiday dinners, your day, day in, day I, I knew nothing that, mm. that he was getting bullied. What mm-hmm. happened was he stopped wanting to go to school. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was probably around uh, the middle of first grade. Mm-hmm. Stopped wanting to go to school mm-hmm. and um, said he was sick. And then in the middle of the day, all of a sudden he'd get better. And this happened many, many, like three days. And all of a sudden we thought, there's a pattern here. Mm -hmm. And he wouldn't tell us why. Mm -hmm. But he told his sister. Mm -hmm. And then his sister told us. Mm -hmm. And I immediately called the principal at home. And I said, I want something done about this. This is not okay with me. I didn't know how serious it was for him. Mm -hmm. But it was serious for me. And uh, the principal said, oh, kids will be kids. It's not anything to worry about. So 
he wanted to go to the other school, but for me, it was a must. I wanted him mm-hmm. out of that school. And I don't think I ever knew how traumatic mm-hmm. and how it affected Dylan until he started to go t- through transition and mm-hmm. told me mm-hmm. why mm-hmm. he was trans. I mean, I was clueless. Mm-hmm. You're, now you're walking around. You've decided now, look, it's safer. I'm nine. I'm just going to, I got to suppress this because I can't keep living like this, right? You do get into the cool school, right? Okay. Um, did it continue there or not? For a little while. I remember in third grade, like you were saying how you like to dress up as characters. I would see a boy that would have something yep. and I needed it. Yeah. Like we went around shopping for this jacket. I lived that, yeah. That this boy had what kind of jacket for was it? so long. It was like a Tommy Hilfiger, like puffy jacket. And, Yellow. Yeah. And yeah. he was really cool. That guy was, he wasn't cool. He was like really smart. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, I want to be him. So yeah, I started yeah. wearing what he wore. Then I remember this guy had these shoelaces that were like bungee shoelaces yeah, at yeah. the time. I And I was like, I need those. And I got those. (laughs) And then fourth and fifth grade came and I don't know what happened. I was just, oh, well, everybody in my family knows about the headband because I like had really short hair. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to like be a girl now or whatever. And so I used this headband to like segue, like I was growing my hair out and it Uh made me look more feminine. Uh uh So like I wore this headband for like every day for a year. And so when my family talks about it, they'll be like the headband, (laughs) like like everyone knows about the headband. But what did you think the headband was going to do? I don't know. I, I was really connected to those kinds of things. Like when I, I really liked hats as a kid. Yeah, yeah, like, I, yeah. Yeah, me too. And yeah, like, yeah. it made me feel more masculine. Yeah, I yeah. think that was part of it. And I, when we went on like trips and yep. I was very serious about my hat. And one time it flew off in a, in a car in Mexico or something. The guy turned, like does a U-turn, pulls back onto the street, like swipes it up oh, for nice. me. And I get my hat back. Like raising Arizona. Yeah. On the road. <laughs> oh, that's very cool. All right. So, so now you're, you're, you're nine, you're, you're in school, you're suppressing, but you're, you're still making manifest in ways that are private to you, like the headband, the hat and so on. Was there, did you proceed a pace? to high school and everything's okay. You've got like a comfortable suppression? No. No, everything got really serious in middle school. Okay. Because that's when puberty started to really happen. I didn't really like recognize at the time, this is what's wrong. Like, oh, Mm -hmm. I don't want to, you know, become a woman. I just was like really depressed, clinically depressed. Yeah, right. And... It brought out a lot of bad, be- like a, a lot of behaviors that were not ideal, like self-harming behaviors. Yeah, yeah. And then I got, you know, antidepressants. And then in high school, like the first year was really hard for me. Yeah. And I mean, I always hung out in the theater in high yeah. school because that's where I felt comfortable. Yeah. Like, and I only hung out with theater kids, really. And then I did sports. Yeah. Which sport? I did lacrosse yeah. and I did track and field and water polo. I did a lot of random sports, yep. but yeah. yeah, sports. Like, I mean, I had a lot of body issues. Like yeah. I had an eating disorder. And yeah. so sports being active was yeah. what made me feel better about myself. So, cause it would the endorphins and it makes, I mean, biologically it makes sense. So, so it seems like this, it's a philosophical quandary, right? Like you feel these changes. I'm, I'm becoming something I don't want to be. Yeah. Something not only do I, I don't want to be, but I cannot stop this. Was that largely part what was happening? Yeah, um, it was like being out of control. Yeah. yeah, and the fact that not just out of control, but like 
that it's you're going to change into something that isn't you. Like, oh, I'm out of control and this isn't something I ever wanted. But now now you're in high school now, so or middle school. This is the internet age. So you asked your father early on about sex change. Had you started thinking about it in a more directed way or was it just as general a kind of amorphous sense of, man, I'm depressed and maybe you're thinking that this is just kind of puberty, young person, moods thing. Yeah, no one thought, you know, no one thought back, oh, remember that time when Dylan was dressing as a boy and maybe like that's a thing and maybe he should talk about it. Mm -hmm. Not even myself. I couldn't Mm -hmm. even do that for myself. And Mm -hmm. so it was just like, oh, Dylan's depressed Mm -hmm. and the drugs, like the antidepressants work, Mm -hmm. but there's still something wrong Mm -hmm. or there's still something missing to this equation. And I mean, for a parent, I mean, especially from the generation that I came from, thinking your child could be transgender was just mm-hmm. not even a possibility. Right. So he was, she was a tomboy, mm-hmm. you know, and the issue she was having emotionally was just puberty. I mean, that was our logic. Did you, going along with the tomboy piece, did you think there's a possibility that my daughter is a lesbian? Yes, of course, because he liked, she liked women too, yeah. So yeah, I always knew I liked women too. Like when I was five and I was, you know, I knew I was a boy, I was also like, I like women. And so that's what I was for, you know, in middle school, I came out as bisexual. Uh And then in high school, I don't know. I used to, you know, there are so many terms now. I was yeah. like pansexual, yeah, like fluid, queer. I've heard omni. I've heard omni. Yeah. yeah, yeah so yeah. like I, I knew I liked women. And so I was very much in the LGBT uh, community uh-huh. in high school. In high school. And I would have. Periods. So now, did this provide you some cover at this point now? Because you finally, okay, I can be in a place where I'm not being mocked, right? Yeah, definitely. Okay. No, it was, that was really helpful. I had a lot of friends who mm-hmm. were gay. There are a lot of gay people in the theater, you know, so that was kind of my community. And I was in the GSA, so that was helpful as well. Which stands for? The Gay Straight Alliance. Yeah, right. right. But the Gay Straight Alliance, that doesn't necessarily include trans, you know, but we did have a transgender person in the Gay Straight Alliance, and I knew him pretty well because he went to middle school where I went to middle school. Ah. And I went to an all-girls school. Uh Uh-huh. So he kind of went through that before me and not even like I saw him and I knew I identified with him in some way. Uh And I remember at one point I cut my hair and dyed it like he did, Uh but I still did not realize. (laughs) You yourself did not realize. Like why I was doing that. Mm. It sort of makes sense to me, right? Uh, If I think about my early sexual strivings, I remember being four years old, five years old and throwing my pencil under the teacher's desk. So I look under the teacher's desk and pick up the pencil, right? But I didn't think about that until I got to be an older adult person. I was like, oh, this is what's manifest now is a certain aspect of heterosexuality. I mean, you, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what I expected, but that's that's kind of what I was doing. So, again, it makes sense that you wouldn't have gone back to say, how come I didn't see it then? How come I didn't see it then? But now you're in high school in the GSA with somebody who's trans, you say, oh, I always liked the guy. But do you ever start to think, still not? Still not. Okay. Very much in denial about it still. Mm-hmm. Was it the the laughter factor or was it the, you, you had found your way and you figured this is my way. I can 
Yeah, I think that's, it was, I was comfortable, like it was easy, mm-hmm. you know, I had found a community that mm-hmm. would accept me that way. And I was very like gender fluid and I would have periods of time where I would be more butch mm-hmm. and then I would have periods of times where I'd be more feminine mm-hmm. and it would just kind of switch off like that a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I was, my biggest fear was of not being accepted. And I think mm-hmm. it, that fear was so strong that mm-hmm. I was able to put like my true identity on the back burner for so long because I was accepted. Yeah. Oh, right. Because of course, college comes with built-in communities, right? Exactly. Okay. And I was surrounded, you know, I'm yeah. surrounded by people all the time. Yeah. Busy. That's another thing, just being busy, like, especially in high school with the SATs yeah. and, getting into college, focusing on what do I want to major in. I didn't really think about myself that much. Mm -hmm. That's a great line, that Martin Scorsese line about morbid self-attention. You can think about other things, right? Yeah. But then you get out of college. So then I get out of college. Are you still, during this college period, are you still... Are you, are you still on antidepressants? or? Uh, yeah. Okay, so you're st- through high school, through college. Yeah. Okay, all right. I get out of college and... I'm alone mm-hmm. more than I've ever been in my life. What school did you go to? I went to Pitzer College. Yeah. Oh, my daughter's there. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's okay. a small world. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, so. Okay, so, yeah, I'm alone. Yep. Like, I've never been. After college, you got your degree in? Um, I created it in okay. Eastern and Western Perspectives on Mental Health. Okay. So essentially psychology. Yeah, right. You're 21 now. Yeah, 21, 22. Yeah, yeah. And I just had so much more time to focus on myself. Yeah. And not only that, but I went out into the world and I was like looking for a career. Yeah, correct. And in college, like at Pitzer in that bubble, Mm -hmm. it's, I mean, Pitzer has people like, you know, there are trans people, there are Mm -hmm. people going by Z, like there's they, them. Right. (laughs) and it's it's just a bubble and it's comfortable and and then I get out into the world and it's not like that and I mean where I was I was like working in Beverly Hills at a restaurant where they required you to dress like very um gender specific just like Hooters no Sorry, that's hilarious. <laughs> um, it was it was just like a fancy yeah. restaurant, yeah, nice place, yeah. and they were like, you know, women have to wear dresses uh, all the time, yeah. and you have to wear makeup. Yeah. And one time they they made me put on more lipstick at yeah. work yeah. because I wasn't wearing enough, yeah, yeah. which was yeah. weird. Yeah. And. I just started to get really, really depressed, just like suicidal at yeah. this point. I was this is post graduation. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I was just so unhappy, and I was like, "Why, you know, why am I so unhappy?" Yeah. Like, and that's when I started to kind of like break down in a way, yeah. and the breakdown is what led me into the realization that I needed to start my transition. Yeah. Yeah. And people, you know, like by my last uh, year of school, people mm-hmm. like my friends who knew me, I had short hair at that time. Mm-hmm. And my friends would be like, Eric, mm-hmm. like they'd call me Eric as mm-hmm. like a, not a joke, mm-hmm. like, but like, you know, you're like, that's your other personality's right. name or something. Right, right. Based on how often I hear from my kids who are in college, did, were you privy to any of this? Or? No. No. Okay. No. All right. I mean, after he got out of college right. and went into that first job, I knew that there, he was having some sort of breakdown. 
you could just tell talking on the phone or oh yeah because uh, we lived in LA temporarily uh, for a couple of years and during that time right. around the time he graduated from college right. and so we saw that whatever it was it mm. was pretty serious and we were very concerned so you knew that you were going to do something that you had to do something before anybody else knew how did the how did the, the how did it fr- frame itself in your head right so you're depressed, like suicidally depressed. You know something's going on. You've taken the classes, right? You knew <laughs> that was yeah. your, your major. So you know something's going on. At what point do you go like, I got I, I got to fix this. I can't keep living like this. Well, I was living in a co-op mm-hmm. with a roommate and I had quit my job because I just- At the restaurant. S- yeah. Okay. Um, and- I, I, yeah, I was just like, I was a mess. Like, I would call my family members crying, like, every day, being like, I hate this, this mm-hmm. sucks. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then I quit my job, and then I moved back in with my parents. And then I was really isolated. I started to have a lot of anxiety, and I started to have panic attacks all the time. And we probably went to the emergency room, like, seven times in one week, because I thought that, like, one, I thought I was having a heart attack and then at one point I thought I had cancer that nobody could find Mm -hmm. which apparently is like something that actually happens to some trans people where they think like they have a sickness inside of them Mm -hmm. it's like a denial like it's like the real sickness is that it's your body that's not right for you but I was like I have cancer nobody can find it Mm -hmm. Um, and then you know every day just started to become Mm -hmm. Brutal. Like, I started to lose so much weight that it was like, well, if I don't start eating more, I'm going to die of, like, of malnutrition. malnutrition. Yeah. Snakes, zombies, sharks, heights, speaking in public, the list of fears is endless. But while you're clutching your blanket in the dark, wondering if that sound in the hall was actually a footstep, the real danger is in your hand when you're behind the wheel. And while you might think a great white shark is scary, what's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward. Don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Hey everyone, this is Molly and Matt, and we're the hosts of Grown Up Stuff How to Adult, a podcast from Ruby Studio and iHeart Podcasts. It's a show dedicated to helping you figure out the trickiest parts of adulting. Like how to start planning for retirement, creating a healthy skincare routine, understanding when and how much to tip someone, and so much more. We're back with season two of the podcast, which means more opportunities to glow up and become a more responsible and better adult, one life lesson at a time. And let me just tell you, this show is just as much for us as it is for you. So let's figure this stuff out together. This season, we're going to talk about whether or not we're financially and emotionally ready for dog ownership. We're going to figure out the benefits of a high-yield savings account. And what exactly are the duties of being a member of the wedding party? All that plus so much more. Let's learn about all of it and then some. Listen to Grown Up Stuff How to Adult on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Grown Up Stuff. So, the idea makes itself 
known to you through this haze of depression or you start to pull out so a secondary effect or how does that okay so i had a really good friend Uh like a really close friend who had transitioned while i knew him from jessica to mason and you know we were good friends and i liked him and i admired him for being true to himself and i kept him as a friend and at some point i realized like I mean, he inspired me mm-hmm. to to transition because I saw him go through it. Mm-hmm. It was really hard and it scared me, but I also knew that I had somebody, like I had some kind of community. I guess like part of the realization was like, oh, I hate my clothes. I don't want to wear these clothes. I hate my body. Like I have a really bad eating disorder and I almost felt like, I just felt like I couldn't function with the amount of time that it would take me to like get dressed in the morning because I couldn't pick the right clothes or like the amount I needed to work out every day to feel mentally healthy. I was like, this is not normal. Like this is not what most people have to deal with. Mm -hmm. I think I started talking to certain friends and they started like one of my friends, I was talking to her and I was like, I'm just really depressed. I don't even even think I told her that I was thinking about that I needed to transition or something. And she sent me a video with like Laverne Cox and was like, you should watch this because she knew before I did, like before I admitted it to myself and I watched it and it was really inspiring. And I think as I started to watch these other people, Mm -hmm. like be who they were, Mm -hmm. that is when I started to realize I can do that. Mm -hmm. And then I just started to remember the past. Mm -hmm. Like, oh yeah, Mm -hmm. it's always been this way. Oh yeah, remember that time I asked my dad about a sex change? And those things started to come back and then I remember, and I was in therapy. And so then I remember the bomb thing and being bullied and then I realized it Mm -hmm. all started to connect like puzzle pieces. Yeah, yeah. So it sounds like it was much harder to get to that point for a variety of different reasons than it was, I mean, because as an outsider, you would say, well, the harder part would be to, I got to sit down and tell Ma, I got to tell Dad, I got to tell, tell everybody. It sounds like the harder part was getting to telling yourself, right? It was, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and there, I mean, there were, there's a lot of fears. There's like fear of being accepted, right. fear of, you know, scar, scars from having surgery, like, Fear of not loving your own self. Mm-hmm. Um, f- fear of just just lots of fears. I mean, homelessness, like everything yep. that you could think mm-hmm. of that's associated with like being a part of a minority, I yeah, guess. Right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, know, I know what you mean. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, okay. So you've come to this realization and then you, I, I think it was based on the piece, the therapist who called you. And, and introduced you to the topic. Is that yeah. right? Did yeah. you, did the therapist ask you if, if, if they, I think it was a woman who was your therapist. Yeah. Did, did she was ask, Katie. Yeah. Did she ask you if she could talk to them? She did. Okay. I remember I went into treatment mm-hmm. and I didn't bring it up right away. It was kind of something I was like, oh, I'm going to try to get better. And then, um, you know, maybe I'll, bring up the transition stuff. And then at one point I just, I felt so comfortable with this woman that I went in one day, I was just like, I'm transgender. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And she was like, great, let's tell your medical team. Mm -hmm. And the fact that she reacted that way was 
I mean, it was life-changing because if she had said, really, are you sure? Yeah. I would have been like, I don't know if I'm you sure. Off, right? yeah, yeah. And I would have, I mean, I was already in so much denial and questioning uh-huh. of it myself that like I came out to her that day We and then she, we told the team and then she was like, do you want me to call your mom and tell her about this? Uh-huh. And I said, that would be amazing if you could do that. And, and then from that day, like for the rest of treatment, I had to carry like a piece of paper that said, I am a man mm-hmm. and I am transgender because I would go into this like thought pat, like circle mm-hmm. where I'd be like, wait, maybe I'm not. And then it would go yeah. like, oh, hey, I'm not, I'm not. And like, I would deny it. Right. And I had to remind myself of who I really was, like right. on a piece of paper. And right. I carried it around with me in my pocket. Was it a card or just a piece of paper? It was like a note card, I think. Handwritten or typed? Handwritten. Okay. Your handwriting? or Yeah, my handwriting. Okay. Oh, that's cool. I've never heard this before. Oh. Okay. <laughs> there you go. So now the, 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 the medical team calls you. Yeah, Katie. Yeah, yeah. Katie. Call, and, and says, you know, Dylan trans, mm-hmm. is trans. And your response well, the first thing was before Dylan went into um, in, into this place that you know the, for therapy and stuff, and for um, just finding out what was going on, mm-hmm. because there were so many things. I mean, he was dying of all these diseases. He was losing weight. He couldn't sleep. We were worried that he was suicidal. It was such a, a relief to put to put him in a, in a place that he was going to get the services that he needed and really sort out what was going on. Mm-hmm. So maybe a day or two before we had actually checked him in, mm-hmm. he and I were driving in the car probably from a doctor's appointment, he said, you know, I think I might be transgender. Mm. And I lost it Mm. because to me, it's like, I've got this child, Mm. you know, of course he was an adult, but to Mm. me, he's still a child. He's, um, you know, I'm afraid that is he going to live till tomorrow? Mm -hmm. And so I got upset and I said, I want you to just get to the point where you can figure out what you really want Mm -hmm. and, uh, and be stable and gain some weight back. And then we can talk about if you're transgender. Mm -hmm. So I think for him, that was kind of like, uh Oh, she's not going to accept it. But for me, it was like, so beyond all the other things I was worried about with Mm -hmm. him. So when Katie called me and she told me, even though he had introduced it to me, it was like I had never heard it before. Hmm. And you know that feeling where somebody tells you something horrible and your heart just seems to like go all the way into your stomach or your stomach seems to fall out. I don't know that feeling like, and the first thing, as I said in my article is, is I felt fear uh-huh. for what does this mean for him? Yeah. You know, is, you know, are people going to accept him? Is mm-hmm. he going to be, you know, um, is it going to be hard for him to get a job or, mm-hmm. you know, are people going to be prejudiced, stuff like that? And what's it going to be like to go through surgery? Mm-hmm. So that was my first thought. But my second thought was, because I would thought, oh, I have to tell everybody. I have to tell family. Was what are people going to think about me? Mm-hmm. You know, are they going to think I was a bad mother? Do they mm-hmm. think I, you know, I caused it somehow or, mm-hmm. you know, that I'm I'm too liberal and I, you know, I accepted this and I should have never accepted it. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, about. I don't know, that lasted maybe three minutes. And then I said to myself, Karen, that is absolute bull. Yeah, right. You know, (laughs) and that was it. But I was still really upset. And um, so I went, I, you know, I drove, I was on the freeway on the phone with Mm -hmm. the therapist. So I drove home, walked in to the house. My husband was, 
in the house. I walked in to, mm-hmm. to tell him, and I didn't tell him I was upset. I just told him what had happened, yep. you know, that I had gotten this call. And he looked at me and goes, that makes perfect sense. Yep. And I was like, what? Yep. <laughs> what? You're yep. not worried? You're not upset? And it just made me yep. balanced yep. and grounded. Yep. And, and that was the beginning. Yeah. Uh, and so when you get home, that they, so you're there, at, still at therapy. When you get home, were you driving back? Were you just like, oh, it'll be fun to see everybody? Or were you anticipating that there was going to be a little friction or just... I was definitely worried, mm. um, but I wasn't worried about my mom or my dad or yeah. my siblings. I was worried about my cousins yeah, and yeah. extended family. Yeah, yeah. The, because, ones, the ones that she ended up contacting. Yeah. Right. right. Because they are a big part of our lives yep. and the fear was losing them. Yeah. And I didn't want that, but I was also afraid of that they wouldn't take it seriously because right. nobody had taken it seriously before this moment. So, so now you deal with the issue of, of explaining to the family, but it seems like now the other stuff that was making life difficult for you would have started to recede, right? It's like, I, I got, I got a plan, right? I got, I, I got this plan. Um, and so how soon after this meeting with Katie, did you start the the transition? Probably like, right. I mean, n- well, I guess you left her office with a piece of paper, right? Yeah. So yeah. that was the beginning. Yeah. And then and then I had some good friends there uh-huh. and they were really supportive and they were like, you need to have everybody call you by male pronouns now mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and we're going to support you. And when people don't, yeah. like, we'll correct them yeah. if you don't. <laughs> yeah. So I started doing that. I started, I need to think of a new name. Did you did you pick Dylan or did you let your parents pick Dylan? I picked Dylan with some friends uh-huh. and it was because of Bob Dylan. Yep. And I just felt like I really identify with Bob Dylan. Not the guy from 90214. No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank God. All right. All right. All right. Um he's you know, Bob Dylan's a Jewish, yep. you know, musician and he changed the world with his lyrics yep. and I really admired him, so that's why I chose the name Dylan. That's cool. So, so it, it began immediately, and how long? How long? Starting with a note. How long did it take? From so it took about like like three or four months uh-huh. before I went on to hormones. Uh-huh. I was in Arizona when I was in treatment, mm-hmm. so I came back to LA, mm-hmm. and then I started getting information on where I could go to get hormones. Mm -hmm. And then I went to the LGBT center and I had my first consultation Mm -hmm. and things really did start to get better. Yep. Um, I mean, I still have like, so this this is pre hormones or or now you're, you get back to LA and you're starting to take the hormones. Yeah. I get back to LA. I'm starting to take the hormones. Uh Um, which, which ones? Testosterone. Which, which one though? 
Jones. So you um, don't know this, but this is this brings our whole series full circle because okay. the very first one we did was about steroids, um, at specifically me and steroids. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, because I have had a past history, which they interviewed me on the first of this series. So interesting. Um. So, but so I went Cipionate, Ananthe, uh, right, Sustadon. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's Cipionate. Okay, that sounds familiar yep. to me. And I remember looking up that there were different kinds, and yep. I was like, "Why is what is that?" Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm taking that. Um, I remember the first time I took it, it made me really hungry. Yeah, that was good because yep. I was having issues eating, uh-huh. and. Ener- I mean, I just felt energized. I remember yeah. working out after that. It was like the best workout of my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I haven't taken them in a long time, but I really miss them. <laughs> yeah. These are all, it all really is true. So yeah, you worked out like crazy. You were eating. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was using the men's bathroom, Yep. which was scary, but no one looks at you in the men's bathroom. Yeah. So didn't matter. <laughs> Well, see, but you, you, you've got like, it's, there's like this great spy quality because your vantage point on how the different genders do what they do is unique. You know, yeah. it's that not like, I don't, I have no idea. Yeah. I've got three daughters, four sisters, still don't have any idea really what, you, what's happening. So what, what, <laughs> what did you, what did, what did you, what, like, what were some of the, the more salient kind of. Like if you were had to write this as a book, you were like, yeah, okay, I made this transition and this is stuff I thought was kind of bullshitty before, but no, like, let me tell you, <laughs> does it, so, I mean, so you have more energy, you're working out Were were there any other markers that you're, you're, from your life as a woman, you would go, wow, I had no idea. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I always thought like, oh, you know, women and men aren't that different. Like, I don't get why, you know, we have these differences so much and then- then I started taking hormones, and I remember my music taste changed a little bit. From what to what? It, more aggressive, more... <laughs> I remember my sister commenting, like, did you realize your music taste has changed? <laughs> it's more, you know, probably more aggressive, more beats, like I'm more into beats. Um, yeah, I mean, less emotional yeah. in a way. Like, a lot of... I know a lot of trans guys who say, like, I couldn't cry after I started taking testosterone. That hasn't happened to me. Uh-huh. But, like, I mean, you're not getting a period, like, every month. Uh-huh. You're not having, like, a... It's, like, I think the difference is, like, f- as a woman, you know, it'd be, like, I'd expect to be really, really emotional for a week every month. Right. Whereas, as a man, it was more like any day I could be, like more angry usually it was anger (laughs) or like you know impatient it could be any day like it could be just for a day like it could just be for like a few hours so that was one big difference this is like therapy for me (laughs) (laughs) so i quickly as i was transitioning i quickly started to realize what i really wanted to do it was like almost i created this space in my brain that had been occupying so much, like being in denial about this had been occupying so much of my brain in this weird way for so long that it was like clarity had just come to me, like mentally, physically. And so um, I decided that I wanted to go to school for audio engineering and do like music related stuff. And so I went back to school for music production and, uh, 
all, most of my teachers were men. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very like male dominated industry still. And I just remember like there was one woman in our program mm-hmm. and she was treated so much differently than everybody else. I, and I just saw it mm-hmm. so much clearer. Like mm-hmm. I remember I didn't know anything. I was like just at the same level as this girl, like of not knowing anything. She didn't really know. She was kind of a beginner like I was. Mm-hmm in terms of production, but all the other guys had had experience Mm -hmm. and I was treated like I knew everything because I was a man and she was treated like we need to teach her every, like we need to explain it to her like every step of the way. Whereas they talked to me, like my teachers would talk to me like, you know, and I'd just be like, Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know. Uh, yeah. you know. Now dating, because I was going to say, I'm sure they always ask about dating, but since you've never done an interview, they haven't asked you about dating. Yeah. Uh, dating, it's challenging, mm-hmm. <laughs> especially because like I am more passing, which mm-hmm. is like what that means is that like if someone passed me by on the street, they would not necessarily be able to tell that I was transgender man, whereas other people are less passing. And so it's hard because it's like, I'll find somebody I like, Uh like a woman that I like, and I'll worry if she knows Uh that I'm trans or not. Uh And then it's like, I almost have to expose that about myself, Uh like come out to them. Uh And it kind of sucks because it's like, you know, normally people don't have to like expose something that they're worried that like they'll be rejected based just on the fact that they were like, Oh, I'm by the way, I'm trans. And then they're like not interested anymore. But the good thing is like, I'm very out on Instagram. Like I talk about my transition on Instagram. And a lot of the time when I meet girls, it's Mm -hmm. like, Oh, do you have an Instagram? Mm -hmm. And then they see on there, like it, Nice. That, you know, this right. is a trans man and then they can decide if they right. want to continue with that or not. Right. And like, that's the same with dating apps now, mm-hmm. I think too, is like, you can put like trans man and right. then, but then there's a worry that like, you're going to be fetishized or something, you know, like people are only going to be interested in you because you're trans, like they're into that. And that's a scary thing. That That's why I don't really use dating websites. Right. I would rather like meet somebody in person and see if I like them there. First. Well, for long-term things, because as African-American male, people fetishize African-American male. Yeah. So for long-term things, it's a drag. You don't want to date somebody who's a member of a fan club, right? Yeah. But, you know, for sure to her engagement says. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, that's good. I like that. The gatekeeping, it, it just solves a problem yeah uh, but i uh, think i think my like market uh-huh, for women uh-huh. like would be bisexual women yep yep mostly because they're just more open yep. and accepting and they're more knowledgeable mm-hmm. about the trans community mm-hmm. and they're into both genders so yep. it's like not i mean if you haven't necessarily like had the surgeries and mm-hmm. stuff it's not going to be as much of an issue yeah, like, right yeah right, right. Knowing what you know now, looking back, is there anything that you would have done differently from how it was that it actually happened? Well, I'm, I have met some families who have children that are five years old that are acting the opposite gender of their birth. And the families know so much more than I did 25 years ago that um, they, are, they are letting their child live as the gender they prefer. And their families are accepting it because it's more accepted. Mm -hmm. So if I could turn back the clock, 
but know about the future, yes, I do everything differently. But given where I came from and the culture I grew up in and the um, environment uh, in the early 90s, it wasn't the same as today. So I'd like to say yes, but I think it would probably have played out almost exactly the same. Where'd you grow up? Los Angeles. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I also have times where I think, man, if only like when I was five and I came out, somebody was like, great, let's have you talk about it in therapy or like, let's, you know, explore this and like focus on it. And then I could have like stopped, I could have like been taller or whatever, you know, like I could have looked more masculine because I would have grown up as a man and not gone through female puberty. But then I have times where I'm like, Actually, it's really cool because I got to live as a woman and a man and I got to be raised as a woman and now I can talk to women. Yeah. You know, like now I really understand women. Yeah. Really well. And so like that's cool. And so I kind of flip like I kind of flip back and forth of Mm -hmm. like, uh, you know, I wish that like a long time ago things were different. And then I'm like, wait, no, actually, this is really cool. And everything happened for a reason. And that's how I got to this place. Cool. I, I have to go back and say one thing. One thing I wish I had done differently is knowing that those boys, mm. I knew that those boys had threatened to bomb Dylan and the whole family. Mm-hmm. And I thought by getting him out of that situation was enough. Mm-hmm. But in retrospect, that's when I should have found a therapist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I didn't. Mm-hmm. I didn't. I it took years before I realized how really impactful that mm. episode was in Dylan's life. You see, this is where I know I, I, I'm a New Yorker because I thought you were going to go a completely different. <laughs> That's when I realized I should have gone to that school with a baseball bat. Well, <laughs> I was well, expecting well, something like well, that. Too. Well, believe me, right. the thought crossed yeah, my mind. Right. Okay. <laughs> Even right. in California. Right. Right. Uh, well, thank you guys for taking the time. Thank, thank you, you for having us. So that's Karen, Dylan. They just rolled on out of here, making this our fifth, fifth in a series of Ozzy Confidential. From my head and my heart, my mouth to your ears, know this. Thanks for listening. I appreciate it. I am Eugene S. Robinson, your host. This is Ozzy.com, Ozzy Confidential for the surprising, the shaken, the, the stunning, the shocking. Thanks for listening. We'll see you soon. Come back. Next up on Ozzy Confidential, we travel hundreds, thousands, ten. We can't say. We travel a certain number of undisclosed miles to an undisclosed location where we called a phone and got another number and went to another place, much like a scavenger or a snipe hunt to meet a Mr. Jim Wesley Rawls. It's Jim Wesley, Rawls, or Jim Rawls, Wesley. I'll explain it all later. He's the head of the American Redoubt Movement, survival blog guy, and a firm believer in the fact that we're all going to hell in a handbasket. Next up, 
on Oz Confidential. Shh.